These are the dialogues of a peculiar character. My name is Thomas Gideon. Join me in chasing my peculiar passion for beer and brewing through conversations with the amazing and curious people who work in the beer industry. I look forward to sharing with you the fascinating stories about how and where beer is made and served, whether that is mere minutes or many hundreds of miles from my home. I first visited Brookville Beer Farm around this time last year. Like the other farm brewery, Wardaka, up county from me, I'd heard a lot of good things before I actually got out there. I was actually getting to meet with who you'll hear in the next season as some future guests, Danny and Jesse from Dark Cloud. We opportunistically took that moment to also explore a tap room, a brewery that all three of us were interested in. Driving out, I was struck by a part of the county and its beauty that I don't always get to. In particular, there's a little bit of a dogleg in Route 97, Georgia Avenue, that heads out from the district all the ways out into the Ag Reserve that goes through a historic downtown. I was so taken by this that a few days later I was doing some research to discover, unsurprisingly, you can take walking tours through historic Brookville to see all these very characterful old homes. Walking up to the tasting room, the brewer in me knew that I was going to be in for a treat. There are two grain silos out front of a low-slung wooden structure. I'm happy to share with you the multi-layered history, both recent and further back, of this iconic building and the amazing brewery it now houses. I'm at Brookville Beer Farm with Phil Muth and Kenny Borkman. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Thomas. So the listeners can better track who's talking. Can we start off? Can each of you say your name and introduce yourself in turn? My name is Phil Muth, uh, Brookville Beer Farm. I'm a partner, co-owner, and we started the brewery about a year and a half ago. Got it opened about a year and a half. Uh, My name is Kenny Borkman. I'm the head brewer for Brookville Beer Farm. Fantastic. So, to start off with, what called you to beer and brewing in the first place? That's the 78 cent question right there. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you want first? Either one of you is fine. For me, I'll start out and, uh, and say that I've always been a, a beer lover. And uh, one of the early uh, persons, I guess, you know, 20, 25 years ago to embrace IPAs. Uh, and um, so I've been following beer, uh, but I've mostly spent um, my time in the food industry. Um, and then uh, I saw it as an opportunity of a growing business, an industry that, that uh, looked like it would be a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, 
and uh, that's what got me involved. I heard that Maryland had changed the laws in 2013 to create a farm brewery, and a farm brewery law. And uh, my background, I studied agriculture in college, and so I always wanted to blend the agriculture side with the business side, and the food and beverage. Um, so that's really what attracted me to it. It was the farming, uh, beer in itself, and a little bit of the hospitality and an opportunity to start from ground zero in a new industry. That was me. Um, for me, <clears throat> I got into beer. Well, my first sip of beer was when I was two, mistakenly, you know, picked up a Budweiser can thinking it was soda. But, um, you know, I drank beer all throughout college, my early days in, in college. Uh, it was when I first started getting into craft beer. And uh, my best friend and I started homebrewing together. Um, about a year into that, I started working for Maryland Homebrew. Um, you know, worked there all throughout the duration of college. This is where Phil and I met. Um, and, uh, you know, Phil reached out to me and said, you know, hey, I'm looking for a head brewer. Do you want to come brew? And I said, well, hell yeah. <laughs> that leads very naturally to the question then, how did this place start? This place or? Well, you, Phil you know. Beer Farm. So, so the brewery itself. So you have the, the background in wholesale produce. Right. You've got the background in homebrewing community as a home brewer an employee at a local institution from there how do we get to here sitting in this amazing tap room <laughs> with this uh, loud noisy brewery right well next my to us. uh my background you know so when i first uh, started looking in the industry i was gonna try to uh, purchase a business and so i was working on a deal with peabody heights in baltimore and uh at the last minute, I went through the due diligence for about 60 days, learned a lot about the business, and I then um, the deal fell through in the, in the last week. Uh, and I was pretty disappointed, but um, I was taking my kids back and forth to school up and down Georgia Avenue, and I kept seeing this uh, nursery, a kind of abandoned nursery. And uh, so I always thought that it would make a really good setting for a brewery and I went and knocked on uh, my current partner's door uh, who has a landscape business nearby and voila he uh, <clears throat> he said I'd be interested he said I don't think you can do it he said I've had multiple people come by and try to put a restaurant different things we're not zoned for it and, uh, we were able to uh, do it as a farm brewery and that's how we were able to get up and running for you initially, it was more a brewery first, and then opportunistically seeing this this space, thinking in conjunction with what you mentioned about the legislation, maybe that's what makes a brewery possible, as opposed to saying, uh, I'm invested in a farm, I have a farm, I have some land, what can I do with it? Put a brewery on it. That's right. Yeah, I saw that uh, there were 14 acres here, and there was some unused land that didn't have anything growing on it. Um, so in spring of 2014, we put in 100 hop plants and started the first hop yard. And since then, we've added more and more. We're up to 600 hop vines, 12 different varieties here on the farm. How do those hop varieties compare to what your experience with, say, Kenny, in terms of what was available at Maryland Homebrew or what's typically available to the homebrewer and the crack brewer? Uh, the quality is pretty comparable. Um, you know, we get a lot of nugget production back there, um, and a fair bit of magnum production. Um, so I'll incorporate one or both 
um, in every brew that we do. Um, I primarily do hops in the mash, um, just because of whole leaf. We don't have a, a means of pelletizing. Um, so it, kind of, it gives a, a very floral, kind of herbally um, essence to, to each of our beers. Do you use exclusively hops grown here, or are you using hops here, say, like a showcase ingredient and leavening with... We have to supplement with some proprietary ingredients, yes. Was that the vision then, starting with the hops? Was the vision always uh, ingredients sourced here, ingredients sourced by? I think that's something we both agreed upon early, is to try and use as much local as possible, you know, and as much off of the farm as possible. Yeah, we're really in an experimental stage more than anything. So um, there's certain hops that we've tried to grow out in, in the hop yard, like Galena, that are just not going to work in this environment. Um, so we're learning as we're going. We're working with Brian Butler from Maryland Extension Service on trying to figure out which hops are going to do well here. We're primarily using hops for bittering. Uh, so we're, we're, we're using that component of the hops. Um, but we're getting more and more interested in aromatics. Our cascades didn't do well this past year. So we'll keep trying uh, to put more varieties in, keep exploring and experimenting. I and mean, we have other food products. We're growing honey here. We have 10 beehives. Um, we have, I always talk about the shiitake mushrooms. We have a mushroom logs and we've inoculated mushroom logs. And we haven't done it yet, but we're hoping to get a good... Uh, uh, crop uh, yield a flush out of mushrooms and we'll put those into the beer and you know, anything we really could think of you know that we think might work with a beer we'll try to grow here on the property that's the land and that's a little bit about the product we'll yeah talk more about the beer mm. this space is incredible oh, i understand nice. the tasting room in particular so we're sitting for listeners to try to paint a bit of a picture we're sitting in sort of a an octagonal or maybe a do deck Agonal <laughs> uh, <laughs> structure with just beautiful, uh, wood, like hewn bean woodwork, uh, phenomenal uh, space. And this has a history before it was part of. It has a couple generations of history. Yeah, it does. So it's a gazebo. Um, you know, we think of a gazebo as kind of a small structure that might sit in your backyard, but this was a giant gazebo that was designed as an outbuilding at a Catholic asylum in Baltimore called Mount Hope Retreat. And it was built around 1900 as far as we can find. A lot of the uh, design elements in it you'll see reproduced if you Google uh, uh, Mount Hope Retreat in Baltimore. Um, a lot of these braces and that's those structures. So, you know, it, it had really been, um, uh, it was 10 years unoccupied, it was uninsulated. It was a straight slab, and uh, we kind of tried to bring it back to life. Uh, I uh, got Ken, you know hired Kenny a year before we opened, and he he always would take home water out of the well on Mondays, and he'd <laughs> brew on Tuesdays on his homebrew system. But the other uh, five four days a week, he would be here, and he might be putting zip strip on the. Uh, white post to bring out the, the color out of them and get the paint off of them. He might have been sanding the floor. And I was with him wet feet and all. <laughs> that was uh, great in December. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, so we did just about every piece of what's in here. And we, that, I think that's so much of what 
is exciting about breweries and small breweries is that you see guys that are jack of all trades. You know, with a little bit of farming, a little bit of construction, uh, brewing during the day, we're answering the phone, interacting with customers. So we get a chance to, you know, tap into that ADD side of my personality and do a little of everything all the time. Yeah. Also, the ingenuity and sort of uh, finding those opportunities to make small improvements. So you've, uh, beyond this amazing space that we're sitting in, you recently enclosed the, the veranda, right? To, to have that a little bit more hospitable at times of the year like this when it's a little colder. Are there other things that you're thinking of or are there other projects since you opened that speak to that sort of additive nature of a project like this? Uh, you know, I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to let you get into the beer. Okay. Because Kenny knows so much more about the beer than I do. But the, on the construction side, thank you so much for asking, Thomas. We had, uh, it's kind of neat what's out here. So it's a pergola that we use to, to uh, shade uh, from the sun in the summer and then create some kind of uh, uh, insulation or, or tent structure in, in the winter. Um, and it's what's called urban lumber. So these are trees that have been taken down by a tree expert next door. And then he puts them on the, you know, because there might have been a store or something, he puts them on a mill and he has milled them. And then we've uh, had a craftsman hone them into the shapes that they are in. So we had a lot of fun doing that. That was our summer project. Um, you know, we had a good summer. A lot of customers came out and we used some of those funds to build that pergola. It's fantastic. All of this really adds to just uh, uh, an atmosphere that's hard to beat. I think this is one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting, tap room in the uh, county. Thank you for saying thank that. You. you also have a very intentionally, maybe not so surprisingly, given the, the background in agriculture and farming, food is an element here. Was that here? Was that planned as part of the original build out? Or is that something that you brought in? The, I'm thinking of the cold cases here along one wing of the tasting room where you, uh, when it's open, you've got local food stuffs and snack foods and also sh shelving your own packaged product. I think it was. I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep answering questions. Yeah, but, no. But, uh, you know, I think it was. And we were always looking for that market feel and a local food market feel as well as the, the beer. And uh, it was our hope to put things in the refrigerated case. And then the pizza came out of one simple reason is my partner kept saying my kids would love pizza you know <laughs> and so i said well you are my partner i gotta agree with you on some things and if you want pizza we'll make pizza happen so that's where the pizza came from you answered one of my other questions that's fantastic yeah, <laughs> the pizza is really good if Thanks. you do have kids oh, i can yeah. definitely agree with your partner that that's a good reason to, to bring them out uh, on warm weekends uh, the farm seems to take on a, a somewhat different character. I'm thinking when I came out in July for your anniversary party, you also have uh, a bit of lawn here. And so people will set up chairs and, and put out blankets. You often have music, you bring food trucks in. Was that also part of the plan, like the vision from day one? I think kind of, yeah. It was just to open up and, you know, let people explore the farm, let people explore, you know, as much of the grounds as possible. It was really organic, I, I think, Thomas. I, you know, I kind of sometimes scratch my head when I see it busy on a Saturday. I'm like, what exactly are we doing that is creating these crowds? I know it's Kenny's beer, and I know it's the setting, and I know it's our demographics. But, you know, it, it's probably 20 different things that add up to the good combination that we have. Yeah. Do you think it's 
part of how you see yourself in the community as well in terms of, you know, you host a farmer's market. Uh, I noticed that you host several clubs. There's a women's beer club that meets here. I think mm-hmm. I've seen flower arranging classes yeah. advertised yeah. here. Yeah. I think that that's part of it is that it's, it's seems like more than just a business in some way. It's a vibrant member of the community. I do. I, I think that's really what breweries in general are starting to play. Uh, so, uh, these businesses are seeking where they fit into the marketplace. And I think there's a real lack of, uh, community in some of these, uh, communities that we have. And so, uh, you know, we, in Europe, we, you always have the countryside pub. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we're turning ourselves into on Thursdays. We have our, our farmers all come in, our local craftspeople. It's a real locals night. Um, and uh, I probably know, you know, 20 people that are here on Thursday nights. Yeah. So it's, it's really a lot of fun to see that sense of community. And then Saturdays is more transient. So we're getting people traveling that hear about our beers and are coming up from Northern Virginia or Washington or, you know, at Bethesda. And, and they want to try a flight. And it's, it's Saturdays are flight day and <laughs> stroller day. So, you know, we have a lot of millennials that are bringing uh, their children in also. Is that something you anticipated from the start or something that surprised you that you have both the, and and I noticed driving around the area before I got here, um, quite a few more residences than you might realize this far out in the county. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then definitely being so far out, seeing people coming in from the closer end suburbs and the city itself, or even maybe down from Baltimore or Frederick. I think it all just kind of happened organically. It did. You know, it just, it took on a life of its own. You know, what, what pe- whatever other people's schedules were, you know, worked best for them for coming out here. You know, we were here to provide them the service. Yeah, I think, you know, we're all, uh, I think we're getting um, chained, I call it chained out, strip centered out, um, also big business. So people want are looking for something original, something where you have on-site proprietors and people that are making the product and kind of staking uh, their their savings on 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 a business and, and really putting some heart and intensity into it so i think that's the result of, of what's coming out a real care for the product and the service and the surroundings is that what gave you confidence like i said this is mm-hmm. you know even from rockville this is it's a gorgeous drive and you go through downtown brookville which is a beautiful little community with all these Unusual homes where you can do walking tours to see all these historic homes. Uh, but it is it is a bit of a drive. Is that, is that appeal, that uh, anti-sort of big box chain mm-hmm. mentality, is that what made you confident seeing this property that in some form or another this would be thriving? Wow. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I... I I'll, I'll accept that. I don't know. <laughs> I hoped fine. it would be. I did not <laughs> expect um, the turnout that we got. I mean, I really did. I hoped. I saw it out west um, in in Colorado. I saw the brewery movement out there. It's taken shape as they changed their brewery laws probably ten years before we did, and here in Maryland. And uh, I I saw the culture out there, and I really believed. It made so much sense that it would work here if Maryland changed its laws. So I guess all I can tell you is that I just took a chance and said, I think it'll work. And it did. And we put a ton of work into it. I mean, Kenny 
and I have really put our hearts into this last two and a half years from the farm to the building to the beers you know to our marketing and, and our, our sense of community and culture I'll circle back to the business side I have yeah. a few more questions yeah, I think sure. laid good groundwork for but I don't want to go too much longer without talking about the beer oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is your philosophy of beer specifically here versus maybe your expectations before going pro hmm. my philosophy of beer beer making or beer tasting both both beer tasting it should taste like beer <laughs> uh beer making uh my philosophy is to stick to as much tradition as possible so we don't use any kind of artificial flavoring we don't use any kind of um you know pre-processed ingredients um all the fruit that we use in beers, we're processing here in house. Um, you know, the spices, we're, we're we, you know, like coriander and stuff we have to bring in, um, you know, preferably local first. But, um, you know, if we have to order some, we'll order some, but we're grinding that ourselves. You know, we're not taking an extract and just pouring it in or taking a bucket full of puree and, you know, pouring it in. We're doing all that legwork. We're actually about to do it for our, our Krampus coming up on uh, Wednesday. We're going to drop in pomegranates, cranberries and uh, oranges. Fantastic. You had a, uh, a spice beer, a porter or a stout that I had last time. I the Oatmeal Raisin Stout. It was, as advertised, tasted exactly <laughs> like a cookie. That was a brilliant, brilliant beer. So uh, it's, it's funny, that, that beer we, uh, we kind of took a gamble on. Um, I've never heard of anybody introducing grain post-fermentation, um, and we did it. We figured out a way to process uh, oatmeal and make it sanitary and uh, toss it in the bright tank along with another 15 pounds of raisins and uh, a little bit more cinnamon. That would explain why it tastes so much <laughs> like a cookie. I wouldn't even have thought of that. I've heard people adding uh, rolled oats very late in the mash, like during recirculation or something like that, um, to maximize the mouthfeel contribution without having to deal with a, a sticky, gummy mash. But post-fermentation, really, that's, that's phenomenal. It's very inventive. <laughs> Can you walk us through your brew deck a little bit and, and your brewing system? Sure, sure. Uh, we brew on a 10-barrel uh, direct fire practical fusion um, system, who is out of Oregon. Um, we have work grant, which is really nice. We can do uh, you know first wort hoppings in it. Um, it also helps alleviate the pressure on the, the screens at the bottom of the MLT. Um, we have eight fermentation tanks, all 10-barrel. 12-barrel um, total volume, 10-barrel working. And then we have uh, four bright tanks, 10 barrel bright tanks of the same capacity, 12 barrel total, 10 barrel working. Um, however, one of those bright tanks we use is a cold liquor tank. So that every time we brew, we're not you know, stressing out our glycol system or dumping water down the drain. We're actually recapturing it back into the HLT to reuse in future batches. That's great, sustainability. Also, I'm not sure I've seen a brewery at this scale that has so many fermenters, uh, especially a year, year and a half in, uh, let alone, well, I guess three brights if you're using the fourth for, for that recapture that you described. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of your rationale for building out uh, a system that has that much depth to it? Um, well, the idea was to put as many beers on tap as possible and try to get a nice diverse range of style, ABV, coloration, flavors. Um, so to really have something for anybody that walks through the door, you know, they'd be, they'd be happy with, with what's on tap. 
Um, we do a fair bit of loggers here. Loggers take quite a bit of time. I know some guys who will expedite it to like, you know, three to four weeks production time. Um, but we go, we follow through with the six to eight week production time. Um, it cuts down to six during the summer just because we're in, you know, in the weeds <laughs> at that point. But, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get longer aging times, spring, fall, winter on our loggers. Does that, I mean, other than the, the time that is invested in the more traditional ways of producing loggers, does that present other challenges, keeping so many taps uh, filled, and especially with that array that you speak to, <laughs> which I get from a business perspective, that, that, that appeal of anybody who walks in, you're likely to have a beer. But on the production side, that's got to be it's, a little bit uh, crazy making. Yeah, it, it gets a little hairy, but, um, you know, my, my prior experience in teaching math uh, really helped with scheduling and working out the modularity of, you know, okay, we have this many tanks of ales, this many tanks of lagers. You know, when are we going to brew this? When is this coming offline type of deal? I think, so I wrote this question before hearing your explanation of, uh, uh, one of my, your answer to one of my other questions. Um, so I suspect, I know what the answer might be for this, but someone walks in, is there a single beer that you would recommend? Or is that much more of a conversation because of that, that diversity? Um, hey, that really strikes a, a conversation with the, the individual. You know, somebody walks in, hey, what do you guys have on tap? Well, here's the list, you know. And if they inquire, well, what does this taste like? You know, or, you know, hey, what do you like to drink? You know, if, I mean, we get a fair amount of uh, Miller Lite, Bud Light, you know, topping guys that, that come in here. And try, try the Filsner, you know, named after yours truly here. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they try it and they're like, man, this is freaking great. You know, I could drink this all day long. And it's a craft beer. You know, it's a, it's a Pilsner lager, but it's still a craft beer. Um, it really all depends on the patron and their, their tastes. I want to circle back to the ingredient processing a little bit. Um, I think we already got a sense of, of sort of some of how you approach that. Um, do you find it's a, it's a particular challenge in really allowing those local ingredients to shine? Do you feel like the ingredients do add something perceptible to the beer? Or is it more about sort of um, the roots to this place and that sustainability for you? I think it's a combination of, of everything you just mentioned. Um, you know, the local ingredients, for instance, the Marianne that we had released on our first can release, that was 330 pounds of peaches that came from Larryland. You know, handpicked by Phil's son, our team, yeah, yeah and uh, our marketing manager Katie, um, and that beer was intended to be peach cobbler in a can, and uh, you know it's even still like it's you know we've got a couple of four packs left, um, it's still tasting like peach cobbler. So um, I do think that the local ingredients add a characteristic to it um, that you're not going to get anywhere else. You know, it's not Monsanto filled chemically crap it's you know locally sourced and i have to imagine there's probably something to the freshness the fact that that it's before it gets to the brewery it's going to be minimally processed you know exactly where it came from and how it's been handled all throughout exactly yeah i mean just the freshness factor alone is is enough for for us to go yeah we'll we'll take the fresh food yeah you know we'll go through the labor i think of local too not just as the local ingredients, but local labor means something too. So if we're processing an item here on site, that's using local labor at, you know, we have a $15 minimum wage. And so we're adding to the local community by doing that. I also think there's a sense of uh, 
maybe touch that makes its way through to the taste of the beer. If we're touching that beer in ways other than processing it through the mash tun and the boil kettle, and then we're touching the, the product, that adds to the, I'll say, spirit of the beer. Does that extend? That's fantastic, yeah. first of all. Does that extend beyond ingredients you source here? Or you, you mentioned working with local labor. That's incredible. Uh, does that extend to local suppliers as well for things that, that you can't produce on your own? Sure. Are you working with local suppliers in the area, in the state, and regional? Absolutely. Can talk a little bit about that. I mean, we have a good story there from yeah. this fall. A lot of, a lot of local people. Yeah, we, uh, so... Um, our very last can run in November, we used nothing but local ingredients, and about 90% of that came from a 10-mile radius from here. Um, we've had, we have local farmers that farm hops just for shits and giggles. And, in their uh, backyard. Yeah, yeah, in their backyard. And so, you know, they're like, I don't know what to do with them. Do you guys want them? So we, we bought them from them at market price, dried them here in the tap room, and then we brewed beers debuting each one of their hops. Um, the malt itself came from Jesse and Danny over at Dark Cloud, as well as uh, Aaron up in Bel Air with Chesapeake Malting Company. Um, the yeast was grown by University of Maryland, right down in uh, was it the Shady Grove uh, Biotech Research Facility down there. So, TLV Tree Farms. TLV Tree Farms with the pumpkins. Uh, Larry yeah. Lamb with the peaches. Yeah, they're about five miles away, and Kenny and I picked the pumpkins out of TLV. And then uh, brought them here, processed them for two days, cooked them in the outdoor oven, roasted them out there. Some of the other ingredients that we got, uh, something from Todd Greenstone, did we get? No, we didn't get anything from him. He was growing some barley, yeah. but we weren't able to use it. That's um, right, yeah. We had used wheat last year from the Stabler farm here. We yep. couldn't use it this year because it had a... Uh, what did it have? Uh, in it? Too, much too much Don. Too much Don. Yeah, it was a dissolved to be no nitrogen. Or, it's you know, a it's no. A, I'm thinking fan. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's a, a mycotoxin. So oh, okay. It's a fungus that grows on the heads of the uh, gotcha. the grain uh, while it's still in the field. Sure. Um, Very important. Know. Don't want to make people sick. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no. Don't want to pull a schlitz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have a bucket of uh, sorghum under. Uh, in the brewery right now that is um, destined to go up to Dark Cloud and be malted. Uh, so it's sorghum that's grown just a few miles from here by Todd Greenstone. We're going to malt that. Probably not do a gluten-free or 100% sorghum beer, but probably use it as part of the recipe. Um, and so we want to try to find any local ingredients we can, corn, uh, uh, barley, wheat, Rye. Sorghum, rye, any of those grains that we can find locally. You know, it's, it's, so building that network is going to take time. But. Sounds like a lot of experimentation. Do you have yeah. core beers as well, or is everything batch to batch looking to we have, pursue uh, these inspirations? We have four originals. We have our Interdependence IPA, a Ridiculous Stout on Nitro, Happen Chance Wit Beer, and the Filsner, which is our, our Pilsner lager. Um, the other nine taps rotate frequently. So, you know, we try to keep a, a different Belgian on. We try to keep, you know, some of the barrel aged on. Um, the one thing that we haven't forayed into yet is uh, sours. But that program is coming uh, within the next few months. We'll start, uh, start up on barrel aged sours. 
You also, I think this year, you invited people in to help with your hop har harvest. So mm -hmm. bridging not just the local ingredient, but kind of blending both the local community, perhaps Humbers my, like myself, who <laughs> have an interest in and uh, can't go out to the big, uh, the big events out in Yakima to participate at that scale, but can kind of come in and get a sense of what it's like to work with hops as a product. Yeah, yeah, that that went well. Uh, it it uh, there would be no way that we could get all those hops picked unless we had uh, some volunteer labor. Um, so we do give some beer credits in return for the uh, the help that people are giving us. So they come out and pick for a couple hours or an hour, and, and we'll send them away with a gift card for to come back to the brewery, and uh, they leave with their. They're green fingers, and, and we <laughs> get a bunch gets into of everything. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah! Uh, but it smells so good. My, <laughs> wife, my wife would kick me out of the house for several weeks. <laughs> so, getting back to the business side a little bit, um, how much of your beer are you selling here versus outbound sales? And in terms of distribution, what's that look like? Geographic reach, as well as sort of. Um, the amount of resa uh, retailers and resellers that you're, you're dealing with. Hmm. Volume-wise, it's about it's about a 50-50, I would say. 50% wholesale, 50% taproom. Oh, no, I think, it's, I think it's much smaller than wholesale. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, it's more like 80-20 um, on taproom to wholesale. But, you know, that's steadily growing. Uh, the wholesale, as we started canning, that's getting bigger. And so we've just started getting into some retail beverage uh, and that's going up. Uh, so uh, geographically, um, we're mostly a lot of Montgomery County, a little bit of Baltimore, um, a little bit of Washington and uh, Howard County. So, you know, we find that our market is more a farm to table market. So a higher end white table called farm to table. Um, we are probably at the top of the market on price uh, out on the street for our draft beer. Um, same with uh, the uh, canned beer, but um, there's a market that's responding to it. They want the smaller batch product and the quick turns. We're constantly changing. I think Kenny brewed over 50 different styles last year. It's just amazing uh that he's he's put together that many different styles and if we don't get it right we shift to another version so we have our, our um our dew point pale ale is it like what dew point 40 now dew 4.0 yeah and we'll uh we'll do a dew point 5.0 6.0 and our approach for that is more um we're not quite satisfied with the pale ale as the first recipe came out. Yeah. So Kenny and I keep modifying, you know, now let's make it a little bit more bitter. Let's, you know, change this up, change that up. So we're, we're trying to have the market be, um, understand who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, we have very great consistency in the four, but the others are evolving. Is your priority sales here? Uh. Do you feel like that outbound segment's going to grow, and how do you how do you square that if you've got if you're having that conversation with someone walking up to your taps versus it's being packaged keg can bottle and going out? That's a good question. I, I think Thomas, we're really looking for 
uh, the market to tell us where to go and what to do. Um, we want to stay true to the farming side and we don't want to, we want to have integrity in everything we do. Um, the, the farming side requires, is expensive and um, is not a profit center, but I think it's part of our culture and who we want to be, uh, our, our profile as a brewery. So I guess we'll follow the directions uh, that the market tells us to, but we'll always maintain farming and growing as a base and, and processing on-site as a base, as a philosophy. Certainly seems to be the case that there's a lot of unfulfilled demand. You think that gives you some flexibility if you're kind of finding your way through that versus uh, just in this county, the handful of breweries we have in this county, the ones that are maybe a little closer in, and have a different mix in terms of how much they're distributing versus how much they're selling over their own uh, bar top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as long as we're getting a reasonable growth, I think it's important not to get kind of over our skis and not uh, try to produce everything that we can produce. We're looking for a balance of our team, our employees, to not have too much pressure put on them, but a nice growth curve for the business so that um, we're producing enough cash so that we can grow. So it's kind of just a, it's a feel, it's a gas break uh, idea that, you know, we're following and from there, yeah. And leavening that with a fair amount of experimentation in terms of um, getting the recipes just right, finding which recipes speak to which consumers. That's right. Exactly. Speaking of the other breweries in the county, uh, we've got Saints Row just opened the Nano, not too far from where I live. Uh, you're of a cohort that includes, uh, depending on how you define it, Seven Locks, Denison's, mm -hmm. a true respite, hopefully Knockwood opening in the next couple of months. Uh, Astrolab and Parallel World opening in the coming year uh, down towards Silver Spring near Denison's. And I just learned another farm brewery just up the road, Elder Pine. How do you see yourselves in this moment as it's unfolding and over the next couple of years? Hmm. You want to take part of it? Or you want me to take it? I'll take it. So uh, I think it's a really exciting time. I think that um, Montgomery County could be going from last to first very quickly in craft beer. Uh, so what is so unique about Montgomery County is that um, franchise laws don't apply in Montgomery County because we have Department of Liquor Control, which controls all distribution. But they did a carve out for breweries. And so we have breweries coming from all over to deliver beer inside the county. So again, we went from last place in and in options of craft beer that I think soon will be up, you know, around first of, of all counties in, in the, uh, in the state. Um, but as far as other breweries are concerned, I mean, everybody has their shtick. Everybody's got their theme and what they're trying to be. How Brookville Beer Farm fits into it is, um, 
we have that farming base and we have uh, a high sense of experimentation. Over 50 beers. I don't think there are any farm breweries that have produced this, the quantity of beers that were that Kenny's putting out. Um, so, you know, I think we just have to stay uh, kind of true to our principles of farming, of turning lots of different styles and and not taking chances on quality. Uh, That's we the big can, thing. Yeah, we canned a batch of beer and we didn't like it. It came up uh, with an off flavor into it. I don't, Kenny could tell you exactly what it was, but we made a mistake and it made its way into a can, but we didn't let it get into the marketplace. We filled the dumpster full of that can. So it was over $5,000 worth of beer. That takes a lot of discipline and especially when cash is tight to make a decision to pour a beer out. Now he'd had, I think it's been two in a year and a half that Kenny's had to do that with. But, you know, that's the way it goes. And so we stay, how do we keep ourselves uh, standing, uh, you know, on our own apart from the crowd? I encourage more breweries to come into the county. I think it spurs competition and makes us all better. Um, there's plenty of market here. We can push out the, uh, the, the big, big beer out of the marketplace and there's plenty of room for all the rest of us our new county exec is i think no stranger to this industry (laughs) and i know has has worked before he became our new county exec uh, with a lot of breweries to help make it possible to 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 flex the the regulations a bit so places like like saints row and before the bang hound could open also Mm -hmm. the reform on tap task force what came out of uh, the House Bill, uh, 1283, amazing progressive reform, eliminating limits, spreading what you described here in the county, uh, a little bit of a down note that it's due to our four-tier distribution, but still the lack of franchise law in the county. Franchot wants to spread that to the rest of the state. What do you make of that? Have you guys been involved with any of the, the sort of activism around craft beer in Maryland? Yeah, I mean, I was asked to be on the task force, uh, the Comptroller's task force, and um, I, I got a real education in what was going on. I had no understanding up to that point of how much uh, beer was being controlled by the distributors in the state. And when I say the distributors, the big distributors in the state. Um, I think if Maryland can level the playing field by opening up self-distribution, I think we're going to see more variety and consumer and more competition. But ultimately, the consumer is going to benefit with a better product and better prices uh, and more variety. Um, So I'm very encouraged. I think 1283 um, was kind of a a dirty trick that was done in the back room in the middle of the night. but the old, it, it keeps reminding me of the adage of for every action, there's an equal or greater reaction. So I, I think we're going to see a greater reaction from what happened with 1283 by the craft breweries and the craft brewery communities that they hold so dear. Um, I, I think social media is going to be uh, on fire in this next Annapolis session. <laughs> Let's hope so. Is there anything... 
I haven't thought to ask that you would like the listeners to know about the beer, about the farm, about the brewery? Well, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's about, you know, it's about the people at the end of the day. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to make a product that um, the employees feel good about making. Um, feel good about coming to work every day and look forward to coming to work and kind of maybe hang out a little longer than they should. Uh, <laughs> um, guilty once you know, or twice. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, it's about our patrons that come into the place and taste the beer and see the work that we're putting out. Um, and and uh, it's about our community that uh, provides us with the ingredients and the labor um, and uh, supports us with their patronage. So, you know, really, it, it's about it's about people and celebrating uh, uh, that piece of it that means so much. I think to Kenny and I, absolutely, and is why we named our our IPA interdependence because we truly are interdependent on our suppliers and our farmers, our staff, our employees, our community, and uh, and. All those relationships blend together to, to create the Brookfield Beer Farm. So, Thomas, I can't thank you enough. We really appreciate. It. We're honored that you've come in and asked us all these questions. And if you have any more, I'm happy to sure contribute. Sure. Before yeah. I let you go, yeah, one last chance. Anything yeah. like event-wise, anything exciting, uh, cool, uh, yeah, in the uh, near future uh, that you want to talk about? Yeah, and tease well, oh, yeah. I got a big tease. I got a big tease. So, okay. uh, you know, well, first, I'm going to start small. And we'll say that we have a can run coming up. It's not that small, but a can run coming up this 16th. It's a Saturday. Are you are you doing the mobile canning or you do we have are. A canning lines hidden yeah. back in? Oh, no, yeah. thanks for asking. No, we have mobile canning. We're on our third round of mobile canning. Third? Yep, third. Yeah, third round. Uh, so we did one in September. We did about every five or six weeks. Um, and, uh, we usually do a beer that we've proven out in the tap room that's, there's a lot of excitement about. Um, but this can release that we're doing on the 16th is going to be, uh, two barrel aged beers. It's going to be a, bar- a bourbon barrel stout that we have, we keep on tap all the time, but it'll be a first time in cans. Lost Barrel's Lot 4. Lost Barrel's Lot 4. And then you want to talk about the other? Yeah. And then, uh, so we're bringing back Hop Envy in cans. Um, you know, some of you may remember the the first round or the first two rounds. Um, so with this batch, it is much juicier than the first two. So I'm I'm really excited about it. We were actually sipping on a sample of it this morning. You know, sensory analysis. It's got to be done first thing. Um, and then the other beer that uh, the other barrel aged beer we have coming out is called Pavement Ends, and that is a bourbon barrel aged barley wine, nine and a half percent. It's got a really nice coconut flavor to it. Um, it's a little woody, um, and not overly sweet. It's not like drinking a bottle of syrup. So I'm very, very pleased with it. That's great. And then we just scheduled our next can release. Yep. Talk a little bit about that, Kenny. Uh, yeah. So next can release, we're going to be doing our Pilsner and 16 ounce cans, uh, which will be available for retail and in-house sales. Um, we're also going to be doing a, another uh, New England double IPA. Not sure if it'll be Hop Envy again. Might change up the hops in it, um, change up the malt a little bit, um, try and shoot for something a little bit different. Um, and then we're also going to be doing an Imperial White IPA. 
So that'll be uh, the last weekend in January. Yeah, so that's that's on the can release uh, agenda. Then um, we have just uh, secured um, the uh, eighty-acre farm next door for a festival on May fifth. So we're going to do a, a, a multi-brewery. Um, we don't know if it's going to be a Montgomery County-centric. I hope it will be. I'm shooting for that, but we may need a few more breweries. We might need to bring in some other breweries. But the theme is going to be um, our local farmers and craftsmen, breweries, and uh, music. So, and we'll also throw some food trucks in there. So look, that combination, so 80 acres, we hope for a few thousand uh, attendees for, um, uh, it's got a day in the country of craft beer and, uh, and music. So that's May 5th. That's our my little advertisement. We just, uh, that, that's brand new, hot off the presses. And, <laughs> and now we, I guess we have to really follow through and do it. Yeah, so. it's on the record. <laughs> it's on the record. That's fantastic. Looking forward to it. That sounds really, really great. Yeah. Well, Phil, Kenny, thank you so much, uh, much for having me and joining Thomas. me today. Thank Anytime, you, Thomas. Please come back. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. In the next dialogue of a peculiar character, I'll be joined by Julie Verratti, Emily Bruno, and Jeff Ramirez of Denison's Brewing Company in downtown Silver Spring. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions, please send them to feedback at peculiarcharacter.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please help spread the word. Tell a friend about it please consider supporting the show financially by visiting patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash peculiar character and become a backer. Patrons enjoy special behind the scene access and bonus content. The support of my patrons is greatly appreciated. Until next time, chase what calls you. I would like to thank the Internet Archive for media hosting and bandwidth. The views expressed on this program are my own and where applicable those of my guests and in no way reflect those of my employer or anyone else. This show is produced from 100% recycled bits. Except where noted, permission to recycle those further is granted under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. That means you're free to change this show as much as you like as long as you don't alter credits and you share your changes under the same license.